WDBM East Lansing. Welcome to Impact Exposure. Exposure is 88.9 The Impact's one-hour forum discussing relevant issues affecting the MSU community. And now, tonight's Exposure. Good evening. You are tuned to Impact Exposure. I'm your host, Emily. And right here, I'm here with um, Lansing Parks and Recreation. Um, I'm here with Joan Lenhard, who will be talking about the wheelchair sports extravaganza on October 25th. And she'll also talk about the importance of local wheelchair sports programs. Now, Joan, tell me a little bit about this event on Saturday. Well, this event started um, a couple of years ago. Michigan State offered uh, an introductory to wheelchair sports, and they did that for two years. And here in the community, we decided that we also needed to become active in developing more of a wheelchair sports program for people with physical disabilities. And this year, we were able to secure a sponsor who decided that it would be good for us to be able to work together. And then we brought in a number of our other colleagues and professional partners to make the event something where people could come and learn about resources in the community, um, different things that they could uh, participate in, and also then start to develop maybe a wheelchair sports team locally here in the Lansing community. Okay, so for the event on the 25th, what types of sports will be played at this event? Well, we have two small portable tennis units that will be coming, so we will have uh, the ability to play wheelchair tennis. We are also bringing in two portable basketball hoops, so people will be able to learn a little bit about basketball. We will also have an adaptive golf cart and some putting greens, so people will be able to practice um, at least a little bit of the stroking and hitting of the ball from a, a different type of a seating system that they might not be used to so that they could go out on a golf course and play. Um, we also have two hand cycles that we are bringing in so that people will have an opportunity to try hand cycling as well. Oh, wow. So what time is this event and where is it located? The event is um, out at the Walmart on East Town Center. And the time frame for the event is between 10.30 and 1.30. And how many people are you expecting to participate in this event? We would love to see 100 people out there. That would be a wonderful target. More than that would be just absolutely exciting. It's, it's a real niche of a market. And so when you're looking at numbers, 100 may not seem like a lot, but it really is for this population. Now, is this the first uh, time you've ever done this event? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So we're really excited about the opportunity to provide that. Now, are there other cities in Michigan that do events like this? Um, There are a number of wheelchair sport programs throughout Michigan. In the metro Detroit area, you have Southfield um, Parks and Recreation Department, Sterling Heights Park and Recreation Department, Oakland County Parks Department, You also have Ann Arbor. They have the Thunderbirds. And then over in Grand Rapids, you have um, Mary Freebad and the Grand Rapids community that also provide wheelchair sports from tennis to um, basketball. And I think they probably do a few other things. You have up in Saginaw, goalball, and um, 
sled hockey. So there's a lot of different sports out there for folks with physical disabilities, and it's growing in what is available for them through um, a more consciousness of accessibility and access to recreation and leisure opportunities. So do a lot of these people have to drive a far ways to get to these cities where they can participate in activities like this? Some do drive quite a distance, and that's why we're trying to get that central location here in Lansing so that the folks that are in the greater Lansing community, whether it's from St. John's to Grand Ledge, Williamston, or even south into Jackson, they may feel like it's okay to come up to Lansing and participate in a, in the, the Lansing team. And that's what we're really striving to develop, is giving opportunity to people that are actually making those trips to Grand Rapids from Lansing or down to Ann Arbor or Detroit, um, an opportunity to develop and form that team here locally. All right. And now are there more long-term programs like clubs that people can join in the Lansing area? Right now, um, there's not an established group of folks that are participating in wheelchair sports. There are some individuals that do participate in wheelchair tennis, and they do some practicing and playing from the MAC, uh, Michigan Athletic Club. We also have um, some folks that, like I said, do travel to other places. Um, I believe here on campus there are a couple of programs that have been developed over the last couple of years to fit some of the needs of the individuals, um, whether it be goalball or um, I think there are some people here that are practicing some wheelchair basketball, but again, it's not an established group or club. Now, when you have sports like this that are usually you see it with people running around, how do the rules change or how is the sport different when people are participating in wheelchairs? Um, for tennis, uh, the difference between a person with or without a disability is that they have a two-bounce two hit. So um, they can strive to get it on one hit if they would like, but they have the ability to wait for it to bounce twice before they return. That's the difference in tennis. Basketball, I'm not sure of all of the different rules, but they get to push their chair. I believe it's three or four pushes before they have to bounce the ball once. Then they can throw it back on their lap, do a couple more pushes, put it back on their lap, etc. Um, and the rest of the game is pretty much what you see out on um, the basketball court's that you typically are watching games on. Now, you're part of the therapeutic uh, rep recreation in Lansing. Is this considered a type of physical therapy, or can you talk more about the therapeutic recreation in Lansing? Um, yes. Uh, Lansing Parks and Recreation developed a, a therapeutic recreation program uh, back in the 70s, and it's actually a field of study and a degreed um uh, program and it is looking at using recreation and leisure as a form of therapeutic service or therapy for getting an individual with a disability into um, recreation programs. So they are actually using recreation and play as part of the rehabilitation process. 
Um, there are folks that have my degree that also practice in clinical settings, whether it's in a rehabilitation, inpatient or outpatient, and others that may be practicing in other clinical settings, long-term care or chemical substance abuse. But it's all about understanding the world of leisure, play, and recreation, and how that is also part of your full development um, back into the community. Now, what's the typical age group um, of people that participate in these events? I have primarily the majority of folks that do participate in my programs right now are teenagers, young adults, and then I do have that older adult and a few seniors. Um, we're looking to develop a program um, with the wheelchair sports that might get some of that younger um, uh, youth involved in the wheelchair sports program so that they recognize that this is something that's a lifelong opportunity for them. And let's not start when I'm 18 or 20 or 30. Mm -hmm. um, let me be playing and recreating just like my counterparts are at 6 and 8 and 9. Right. And now what, do you, what would you say are the benefits of having wheelchair sports programs? Oh, gosh, the benefits, I think, are just, as we have a phrase, the benefits are endless. I mean, it, it's about health. It's about wellness. It's about contribution. It's about um, identifying your strengths. It's about um, developing teamship and camaraderie and friendships and relationships. You know, sports and recreation for anyone, you know, brings those qualities to the table. And so this is just another one of those opportunities that we encourage anyone um, to participate in. Now, what kind of reactions do you usually get um, when people participate in programs like this? You know, sometimes um, people are very uh, uh, amazed that, wow, I didn't think I could do this, or... Um, this is something that I've really been looking for, and now I know that there's something out there for me. Um, to the individuals that were very active prior to an injury, if that is what has um, caused their disability, and they're looking to get back to being that active person that they were prior to the injury. And um, it becomes a very fundamental drive to to be able to, participate in recreation and sports as soon as they can. Now, Don, tell me a little bit about how you got involved with this program. Um, with recreation in general or this specific wheelchair sports extravaganza? Um, with the wheelchair sports extravaganza. Um, you know, there is a need for folks that have disabilities to be able to participate in recreation. And some of the things that we have found that may not allow them access is that they may not have the proper equipment. Some of the equipment that is used for wheelchair sports is very expensive. And when um, insurance will only pick up maybe one piece of equipment, you're looking at their everyday chair that might be used to get them to and from school, work, and play, but it's not a sport chair that allows them the movement and the mobility and um, the access into the game or the sport. And we were fortunate enough to receive a few grants that allowed us to buy uh, the adaptive golf cart for sport chairs that could be used for either basketball or tennis and two hand cycles. And 
not having that piece of equipment into your own backyard or in your house or the garage, um, it makes it difficult to really get a feel for what the game is like when you're in your other chair and here's a sport chair. Now describe the adaptive golf cart that you're talking about. What does it look like and how does it work? You know, it's it's a lot like a, a, a cart that you would see on the golf cart, golf course, but it's a single rider. It has a seat that swivels. The golf clubs are easily accessible to the person to be able to reach. Um, the seat tips on some of these, so it helps to balance you. Um, it is got a little bit more maneuverability. The poundage per inch on the ground uh, in a golf course and up on a green is different so that you can actually use the golf cart up on a green, which has always been something that was contentious between golf uh, golf courses and owners and managers that, oh, it could damage um, the greens, and it actually doesn't. It has less um, pound per square than what other pieces of equipment that they use to maintain golf courses. So um, the golf cart itself has just a few things that are different than another golf cart. Oh, very interesting. Now, you mentioned MSU is having a lot of opportunities for people with physical disabilities. Do you see a lot of MSU students volunteering in programs like the Wheelchair Sports Extravaganza that you'll be holding? You know, right now, um, it would be very late for us to get them through our volunteer system. But um, we would absolutely love to have MSU students get involved in, you know, our programs that we offer at Lansing Parks and Recreation, whether it is with my therapeutic recreation programs or our after-school programs and special events. You know, we have sports. Um, and we actually do get a number of MSU students. It's, it's been a great relationship um, that they bring to our programs to support the services that we provide. And um, I right now have, I think, six MSU students that are working for me. And, um, you know, I try to run my programs uh, in relationship to the, how a semester runs. So when you have your Thanksgiving break or your mm-hmm. Christmas break or your spring break, I too have break because I can't do a program that has 80 participants coming to it without the support that the students have offered. Right. And now what type of volunteer opportunities or employment opportunities do MSU students have? Well, like I said, we have... Um, three community centers that we employ people in to assist with our after-school programs and building supervision. We also have a community center that is a historical site, and so we have uh, tours for things like that. We also have our outdoor nature, Fenner Nature Center that also does a lot of programs. Um, We have aquatic programs. We have dance programs. We have uh, day camps in the summer. We run a variety of programs and services throughout the year. We have basketball and flag football and little kickers and soccer that we're always looking for um, volunteers, whether it is the volunteer coach or it's the, the umpire or the referee or the scorekeeper. So all of those positions need to be filled. And sometimes we have students that work one night a week because they, they've they got that night free and they want to be a scorekeeper. So, um, and it's a passion that they had when they were a youth themselves. 
Okay. Well, before I wrap things up, where can people go for more information about the Wheelchair Sports Extravaganza event on the 25th? They could call me. My name is Joan Lenhard, and the phone number is 483-4291. That's my direct line, and that is area code 517. Or they could call 483-4291. Three three or four two seven seven, and someone there in the offices could read them more information about that event. Well, thank you very much, Joan, for coming in again. For those who are just tuning in, um, I was talking with Joan Lenhard from Lansing Parks and Recreation to talk about the wheelchair sports extravaganza on October twenty fifth. And again, the phone numbers were five one seven four eight three four two nine one. 517-483-4233 or 517-483-4277. You're tuned to Impact Exposure. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9 The Impact. At the football game, Jim shows the telltale signs of being wasted. He starts flexing for the camera. He refers to his muscles as gunboats. He screams, how's this for a halftime show? Jim streaks the field. It's easy to tell if you've had way too many to drive. But what if you've had just one too many to drive? Never underestimate just a few. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, the Ad Council, and this station. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Primetime. where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Sunday nights, check out Sit or Spin from 8 to 10 p.m., where you can voice your opinion on what new music we play here on the Impact. Only on Impact Primetime. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9, the Impact. Phone lines are open at 432-3893. And now... Back to Exposure. You are tuned to Impact Exposure. I am your host, Emily, and here I am with Linda Parks from the Women's Center of Greater Lansing to talk about the coat drive that they will be holding. Now, Linda, can you tell me about when this coat drive will be and a little bit about this event? Yes. Uh, First of all, thanks for having us. Uh, The co-director, Cindy Allwood, is with me here tonight. The coat drive is to keep women warm. Women will spend money on kids' clothing, boots and anything for their children, but tend to go without themselves, with keeping themselves warm. So we are having a coat drive this Saturday from 9 until 2 at 1710 East Michigan Avenue. That is three doors east of Shepherd, right uh, between Sparrow Hospital and Frandor. The uh, donations will be accepted. We will take coats, jackets, scarves, mittens, hats, boots, monetary donations. And is this the first year you've done this event? Yes, it is. We plan to do it each year from now on. Now, why did you decide to start an event like this? I was a single mother and would go without. And since I've been volunteering there since July, I have taken over the clothes closet and noticed recently a lot of women coming in and looking for winter coats. We had a few, but not a great deal. We are looking for any sizes, but specifically larger sizes, sizes 12 on up. Now, um, talk a little bit about the Women's Center of Greater Lansing. Uh, The center started three years ago by Cindy Allwood and Manuela Cress to help women. It's a hand up, not a handout. 
They have different types of activities. We have workshops. We have support groups. We also have counseling. Um, and you mentioned something about um, a coat closet that you have. Um, I read that you guys um, help with um, career preparation. If someone has to go in for an interview, they can go into um, this closet and pick out professional attire to wear. Is this where some of the donations will be going to? Yes. We do have uh, a large selection of clothing. We have several donated items that have filled up a large room. We will be expanding this at the first of the year. We have suits, tops, blouses for interviews, or if you want to go and pass out your resume, we do allow two outfits per person. We plan to increase this after the first of the year for work ready. We're trying to get outfits, uniforms for Cena's. Um, there's different stores around the area that require certain outfits, black pants, white shirts. We want to fill our closets with those blue jeans, sweatshirts, because some people work on roads. So we want to make them able to be able to perform the job and the uniform that they're required to, not just suits and ties. So um, for this coat drive, they're not going to be donated to families. They're going to be um, put in your uh, closet. Correct. But we are going to distribute them November 7th okay. from 9 until 2 at the same location. Okay. Um, now, is the Women's Center of Greater Lansing a domestic violence uh, shelter? No, we are not a shelter. We do not provide any overnight stays. It is an office, nonprofit. We have two buildings. We have two offices that are adjoined. We have a computer lab that was recently donated through a large grant. We have job clubs that meet twice a week so people can learn how to do resumes, where to find jobs, how to do job interviews so that they don't go into an interview not knowing what to say, how to present themselves. We also have counseling for sexual abuse, abusive relationships, grief counseling, several different, even if you just have regular wanting to talk about different issues, we have therapy for just about everything. Now, who do you primarily, primarily serve? Is it teens? Is it mothers? Um, is it only low-income females? What types of people come in? All walks of life. Um, sexual assault does not discriminate against anyone. Mm -hmm. um, you can have abuse by anyone. You can suffer from grief at any age. Th one of the larger areas that we do serve are women who are in midlife. We have people who have had a hard time adjusting to um, divorce, la loss of jobs, their children have moved out, and they're trying to figure out where their life is going. Now, how did um, the Women's Center of Greater Lansing begin? Well, I'm going to turn that over to Cindy Allwood, who happens to be here, because she's the one who started this incredible, incredible place for women. Thank you, Linda. Um, it started kind of as the brainchild of a group of feminist women who were getting together and meeting, and um, many of us were involved with the National Organization for Women. 
and we had an answering machine at that time, and we were getting calls and questions and requests for services that were just not we were just not able to meet, and there weren't any places where we could direct women for a lot of these different things. So uh, a handful of us sat down and, and thought about, you know, why isn't there a community center for women in this area? Lansing is the capital city, and there is a large population here with colleges and state government and all of GM and all the things that go on here, and there wasn't a place for women to go to get any kind of services, just a, a, a place to, as a first point of reference. So we put our resources together and put together a business plan and bought two buildings, and we've been going full steam ever since. Would you say it's been successful? Absolutely. Very good. Yeah, we've served over 1,500 women in the last three and a half years. Oh, wow. That's great. Um, Now, you guys talked about different um, services that you provide. Um, Do you have support groups that are going on right now? Can people just drop in for some of those and... What type of support groups do you have? Do you want me to take that one? Yes, please. We do have support groups. We have two, like Linda said, we have two job seeker support groups that you can drop into. All of the rest of our groups require pre-registration, and that is is for several reasons, but it's also because these groups, some of these groups have been ongoing for a while, and we have two groups called Not-So-Happy Endings for women who are going through separation, divorce, or the end of a long-term relationship. And depending on on the culture of, there's two of those, Monday night and Tuesday night, and depending on where those women are, the facilitators want to make sure that anybody coming in new is not going to be real uncomfortable with where the rest of the group is. Same with our sexual assault groups. We also have a caregivers group. Um, and we just try to be, and we have a, a group for women who are going through midlife called Traveling Tips for the Midlife Journey. And we are, and I facilitate that, and we are accepting, you know, just a couple of people now. Our group is pretty well gelled. And that, you know, it's just to protect the person coming in and not protect them in a sense of there's danger, but mm-hmm. just to make sure that the transition in and out of the group is good for them. So, yes, we do have them, but only mm-hmm. only the job seeker group you can drop into. Now, do you have a lot of volunteers that work at um, the Women's Center of Greater Lansing? Well... Melinda's our star volunteer. Mm-hmm. Um, we do have a handful. We also use a lot of students to provide, graduate-level students, to provide our counseling services. We don't necessarily consider them volunteer, although they are, because they're not being paid. And we have eight graduate interns right now. And then we supplement that with volunteers like Linda and other women who maybe have retired or looking for some part-time things to do, don't necessarily want to sit around but don't know really what they want to do, so they'll come and volunteer at the center. Okay, and where can people go for more information about um, the Women's Center of Greater Lansing? They can go to our website, the Women's Center of Greater Lansing, no punctuation, the Women's Center of Greater Lansing.org. Actually, I didn't make a tiny correction. Oh, okay. There's no the. Oh. It's just www.womenscenterofgreaterlansing.org. That has everything on it that we're doing, with the exception of the code drive. We're working on getting that up there. Um, and that'll give our hours and our services and the whole nine yards. You okay. can also call the center at 372 9163. 
And again, since you don't have the information on your website about the coat drive, can you again say um, where it will be held, what time, um, and what types of things you guys are looking for? Certainly. Uh, the address is 1712 East Michigan Avenue. We will be looking for coats, jackets, scarves, boots, hat, mittens. We do need a coat rack, um, a round circular one like you would see in a store, or elongated one for us to use for two weeks while we hold on to the clothing to get them ready for the distribution. The coat drive is this Saturday, 9 to 2. We will be serving um, some hot cider and donuts and giving a tour of the site. We will be distributing the coats and clothing on November 7th from 9 to 2 at the same address. All right. Well, again, for people who are just tuning in, I am talking with Linda Parks and Cindy Elwood from the Women's Center of Greater Lansing to talk about their coat drive. Thank you very much for coming in. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9 The Impact. For some high school students, school can be a dangerous place. A lot of gamers look at you as a gang member, too. For some, just being in school can be a struggle. I wouldn't go to school. I didn't care about what my mom said. My mom would tell me, like, what are you doing for yourself? You're not doing nothing. But despite all the obstacles, inside every high school student, is a graduate. People look down on you if you don't have a diploma. I want to graduate because they say I won't. Go to BoostUp.org and find out how you can help a friend, a son, a daughter finish high school. BoostUp.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Army and the Ad Council. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Primetime. where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Tuesday nights from 8 until midnight, the Impact's progressive torch and twang brings you the best in alternative country and grassroots music. Only You're listening to Exposure on 88.9, The Impact. Phone lines are open at 432-3893. And now, back to Exposure. You're tuned to Impact Exposure. I'm your host, Emily, and here I'm with Crystal Cuevas from uh, the Chicano Latino Studies Program um, to talk about uh, Dia de los Muertos, or the Day of the Dead. Now, Crystal, tell me a little bit about the Day of the Dead, the history behind it, um, and what happens. Um, all right. Well, basically, um, Dia de los Muertos is a Mexican indigenous holiday. It's on November 1st and 2nd. Um, basically, on these days, the people remember um, those who have passed. November 1st is considered the <clears throat> sorry Dia de los Angelitos, the day to remember children um, that have died. And November 2nd is a traditional Dia de los Muertos celebration. And um, it's actually really a celebration of, you know, the people, like a remembrance of them. So it's not usually not very um, morbid or anything. It's usually really happy and festive. Uh, basically, pictures of the deceased are placed on um, Dia de los Muertos altars. So um, they'll have, like, their favorite food and their favorite drink. And a lot of times I'll also give them candles to, you know, like the way back home and um, soap and water to freshen up because, you know, they've taken such a long trip. So uh, usually also you put, like, things they were fond of, like maybe some kind of, like, trinket they had or uh, something that they would carry around them or was meant something to them. And um, gifts just to, like, you know, send personal uh, messages to them, to a loved one or somebody. Um and to let them know that they're still a part of the family, even though they've passed, and that, you know, they will always be with us, you know, so that kind of thing. 
Are there other festivities that go on, like parades or things like that? Um, I mean, I guess it just depends on where you are. Um, like, uh, culturally, I guess different regions will do different things. But, like, um, mostly it's just, like, sort of a celebration, just coming together with family and friends. Now, you said that um, the Day of the Dead is on November 1st and 2nd. Mm -hmm. But I read that... Um, when the Spanish conquistadors came over uh, years ago, um, that they realized that this event had been going on for thousands of years, but they thought it was sacrilegious almost. And so I guess um, I heard that this used to be an event that would go on for the entire month, but they tried to um, try to get it more towards um, uh, the Christian or Catholic faith and try to um, do it more on All Saints Day mm -hmm. and kind of shorten the time as well. I found that interesting. Do you know more about that? No, actually, I haven't really heard of that, but I mean, I can imagine it. I can understand, like, maybe where that theory may come from, if it's true. <laughs> mm -hmm. And are there any events coming up in the Lansing area um, around the Day of the Dead? Uh, yeah, actually, um, student organizations on campus, uh, Chicanos Latinos Unidos, um, Culturas Las Razas Unidas, which is um, an umbrella organization for Latino organizations on campus. And um, the Brothers of Phi Ota Alpha, they're a Latino fraternity, uh, Students for Economic Justice, they're um, actually having two events. Tuesday, October 28th, um, Culturas de las Razas Unidas is um, hosting a, dem like a, a talk about Dia de los Muertos, and they're going to be decorating candy skulls. And um, it's in El Centro de la Raza, or the, the crew room, so in Wilson Basement, and it's at 6.30, and there will be food and refreshments available. And on Sunday, November 2nd, Chicanos Latinos Unidos, uh, the Fiota Alpha Brothers, and Students for Economic Justice will be having a Dia de los Muertos demonstration. It's at 7.30, and it's going to be at the median um, on Grand River. And uh, you people are uh, more than welcome to bring altars if they want or anything like that. And um, we're going to be uh, dressed with black and sort of like felt, you know, bones kind of on us. So we're going to be sort of representing like the dead ourselves, sort of, you know, just, just there and like just the show, like, um, I guess, uh, a physical sort of something for people to see and understand. So, wow. yeah. So where can people go for, um, the listing of these events or is there like a website that people can turn to? Um, well, I mean, if you guys have any, if there's anybody has any questions, there's a there's an email for Chicanos Latinos Unidos. It's actually Chicanos y Latinos Unidos at gmail dot com. Um, should I spell it? Or? Yeah, okay. sure. <laughs> um, Chicanos is spelled C H I C A N O S, and then a Y, and then L A T I N O S, then U N I D O S at gmail dot com, and it's all one word. So. And we can let you know about anything else or answer any questions about the event or what's going on and that kind of stuff. Now, how much different would you say um, Dia de los Muertos is from Halloween? Did they both originate from the same idea, do you think? Um, you know, it's funny because uh, you would think in, like, uh, the people kind of sort of dress up sometimes and, like, that sort of thing. Um, you know, I'm not sure. It's funny how so many different, like, cultures and whatever, they'll have so many, like, kind of similar sort of um, lines of, like, uh, religious or, like, holidays and that sort of thing. So, I mean, it could be tied in. But, uh, I mean, yeah, that's probably around the time, too. So mm -hmm. maybe it has some kind of influence, the two of them, yeah. are, you know, related. 
Um, where would you say that um, Dia de los Muertos is celebrated um, the most, where they have the most, I guess, extravagant festivities? Um, well, I mean, like, just within the media and that kind of thing, it's usually associated um, with Mexico. So, um, um, for the most part, I, I know that Mexico is very, it's, from what I've seen and heard, um, it's, yeah, it's definitely a, a big part of their culture. And, I mean... Uh, I know just Latinos generally celebrate All Saints Days, so. Um, do you think that this is the most popular holiday in Mexico? Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say that. I mean, it's an important one, not necessarily like necessarily like a popular one. It's it's a, it's more than just you know like a party or a holiday. It's like it really has a lot of um, familial and like traditional uh, roots and that kind of thing. So it means a lot. Um, would you consider this a spiritual event? Yeah, um, somewhat. Um, now, a lot of this has revolved around um, the deceased and celebrating the dead. Do a lot of small events like this occur at funerals? I'm sorry? Do So, um, the Day of the Dead, it's revolved a lot around um, people who have died and you're celebrating, um, I guess, their death. Um, do things like um, celebrations or traditions like this occur at some funerals? Um, I mean, I don't think it may happen during the funeral, but I'm sure... Do you mean, like, within this um, event or just in general? No, like, if people if people die and they have a funeral, are people mm-hmm. going to set up, you know, like, their favorite drinks at their altar, things like that? that yeah, they, they do might. During um, yeah. the Day of the Dead. Yeah. Okay. Um... And what are some other common traditions or rituals um, that happen during the Day of the Dead besides, um, like, setting their favorite drinks? Is there anything else? I mean, specifically, I guess, it, I mean, people, like, have their own way of celebrating it. It's, um, it's not necessarily, like, a mandated, you know, there aren't, like, rules or anything. I mean, you celebrate it how you feel. And, uh, I mean, yeah, so it's a, I think it's just, like, like I said, a very personal thing, and that's also... Um, individually, like within families, they may do different things. I mean, the overall picture is the same, but you know, people add their own little like twist to it, I guess. Or yeah. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much, Crystal, for yeah, coming no in. Thanks for having me. Yeah. For those who just tuned in, I was talking with Crystal Cuevas from the Chicano Latino Studies Program, um, and she came and talked about the Day of the Dead. You're tuned to Impact Exposure. I am your host, Emily. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9 The Impact. Attention shoppers, if anyone is missing a rather plump set of love handles, please come to the customer service counter and claim them. The ample love handles were lost in the produce department where their former owner had purchased fruits and veggies to munch on during the big game. Thank you and have a good day. Small step number 81, snack on fruits and veggies. It's just one of the many small steps you can take to get healthy. Learn more at www.smallstep.gov. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Saturday nights from 8 p.m. until 2 a.m., tune into the cultural vibe to hear the best in both local and national hip-hop, plus live mixing on the ones and twos. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9, The Impact. Phone lines are open at 432-3893. And now, back to Exposure. 
You're tuned to Impact Exposure. I am here with Stephanie Santoro and Adam Porter to talk about Invisible Children and the upcoming uh, documentary screenings on campus coming up this Thursday at 7 p.m. in Wells Hall, room B106. Um, now, Stephanie and Adam, can you tell me a little bit about Invisible Children, the history behind it, um, and stuff like that? Um, Invisible Children started in 2003 when three college boys from California went to um, Sudan, Africa, looking for a documentary to make. And they ended up getting pushed into northern Uganda um, due to the war, where they found the story of these invisible children um, where night commuters and night commuters are children forced to like move to the center of towns, um, the center of the towns to um, avoid being caught by the rebel forces there and forced into war. And that's pretty much how it got started. They these these college kids seen all the atrocities happening. They videotaped it, brought it back to America, um, made a documentary out of it, thinking nothing of it, and it ended up blowing up and now they have this giant organization that does all kinds of great things. Now, I first heard about it, I think, um, when I was in high school, I want to say um, my senior year, and it was because people were touring around the country getting in vans and showing these documentaries at high schools. Is that how it, um, it really started to become popular? Um, I know a lot of it really expanded when they started showing their friends and their families, and then as their organization um, started to boom just in side of California, then, you know, then they would expand to the different high schools, and each high school would then raise their money and try to support, and as more and more people found out, it, it just kind of went in this underground, grassroots type um, buildup of uh, support. So a lot of it found, was founded on these documentaries that they mm -hmm. um, started. Uh, when was the first time that you guys saw these documentaries? I first saw the documentary my senior year of high school. Um, one of the teachers that I had, my English teacher, she was, um, I forget how she found out about it, but she asked the roadies, which are the people who um, went along in the vans and played it for the different high schools, um, she invited them to our high school. And just, I remember being extremely moved after seeing the video. Um, I actually found out about him last year. Uh, I was just, I was working out and I looked up at the TV. I wasn't even I had my iPod on, and I seen a Fall Out Boy video, and um, the the, the music or the song the like the music video t tells a story about these children's soldiers, you know. And I went home and I you know was really moved by it. And I went home and I looked it up, did some research, found out what it is, what it was, and like called up Invisible Children the next day. I was like, how can I help? And they're like, well, you can set up a screening with the roadies. And I was like, okay, well, I'll do that. And I hadn't even seen the documentary or anything yet. I was just moved by that. And uh, it wasn't until about a month and a half, two months later, so I'd say like, you know, November, December time of last year, that I seen the actual rough cut, the first video. And that's what got me started on it all. Now, the three documentaries that I'm aware of is there's the rough cut, and then they have these documentaries around the bracelet campaign where they're selling these bracelets that people of northern Uganda are making out of twine and things like that and selling it along with a story um, of children like let's say like one's a person's name and it's a video kind of about their life and then the most recent one is Go in which Stephanie you are actually in which we'll talk about in a little bit um, 
But some things that I um, found really interesting was that this is the longest war in in Africa. It's been going on for 22 years, and 90% um, of the soldiers are children, and that, um, like, thousands, um, actually 200,000, I saw, um, kids used to have to walk five or eight miles every single night to the shelter, sleep just packed in basements, wake up the next morning because they wanted to go to school because they knew that education was important. And I hear that people who see these videos, um, they're just really well done, really inspiring, and when people get done, Maybe they're crying, and they're like, what can I do to help? This is amazing. Mm-hmm. Now, Stephanie, what what have you done with Invisible Children? I hear that you have quite the um, experience with that. Um, like I said earlier, I first saw the video in high school, and um, they have one of their main programs with Invisible Children. It's called the Schools for Schools program, and it's where different schools throughout the United States uh, come together and raise money and compete against each other to raise money for schools in northern Uganda where the war is taking place. And they really are just trying to rebuild these schools. They're not just handing the money over and saying, here, rebuild the schools, but they they have a plan. They first start with giving them clean water, and then they build to building them a safe facility. Then they give them sanitation. They give them books. They work on teaching the, the teachers. They And then, you know, finally they build up to technology. And what they want to accomplish is so amazing. And my school decided to compete in the Schools for Schools competition. And in the end, we wound up winning our bracket, which in winning, we um, were able to go see what we had done. So two students and a teacher from each winning school were given a trip from, um, from Invisible Children to go to northern Uganda and see everything that we had accomplished. So what kind of things did you see? Um, Some of the main things that we really saw, we spent the night in a displacement camp with the people there and just saw the life that they live and just how truly horrifying it really is. I mean, you see these videos and you think about it and you're like, wow, that's, that's horrible. But then you go there and you sleep on the ground on these straw mats. You have a rat running around your hut. You have cockroaches. It's just, it's so much worse than you ever could have imagined. And what did the schools look like? The schools, um, most of the time you would walk in, they're completely overpacked, overcrowded, multiple people to, like, three people per chair trying to fit on this one desk writing in te- like, from one teacher. I, one of the statistics is two to three hundred students per teacher. And this isn't just college-age kids, this is... 12-year-olds. This is elementary school kids trying to learn from one teacher. And, I mean, you look at the books. The books are falling apart, ragged. You can barely read the words, and the walls will have bullet holes in them. It's just, it's not a good place for people to learn. It's not conducive to learning. Now, since... You and 20 other students um, were able to go to northern Uganda, a place that is in the middle of the longest-running war in Africa. Were you scared for your life? Do you think it was dangerous going? Um, It was definitely dangerous, but at the same time, it was so needed for us to go. And I think the amount that you feel, like the amount of passion that you have, you overlook the fact that it is a dangerous area for you to be. There is war going on and overlooking that was allowed 
you to really go and not feel so much of the danger. But, it, it, I mean, it, you definitely felt it while you were there. Now, when you're talking about um, staying in these displacement camps, I don't know if people know the extent to what this is like. Um, what I've read, um, 20,000 children were abducted from the camp. Um, what happened was, um, since 90% of these soldiers in this war are children, they kidnap people from the, in the middle of the night um, and force them to become child soldiers. That's why they flee in the middle of the night. Um, thousands of kids sleep in the basement. Um, and then in 1996, the government forced people from their homes into internally displaced camps as a means of protecting them from the soldier or these child soldiers, which are called the LRA. Um, and even if the northern uh, people of northern Uganda thought they were safe, 20,000 children were abducted from the camps, and now 95 to 98 percent of the population of northern Uganda, which is 1.8 million people, live in these camps, half of which are children. But a thousand people are dying weekly in the camps because of the lack of sanitation and health care. Right. So people are really packed together. Yeah. Um, Four hundred and five people per acre. Wow. Actually. And about twenty-five percent of the people living in the camps don't have access to a latrine. Wow. Something and latrines there. You think of a latrine as you know a porta potty. As I, I know that's what I think of when I think of latrine, but going there, latrine there is literally a hole in the ground with maybe like a rough structure built around it and cockroaches just lining the sides. We made the mistake of shining a flashlight into one. Um, yeah, that was not fair. <laughs> <laughs> but see, I, I've talked to some people recently about um, just, you know, what's going on overseas in different places like Africa. Um, and some, you know, and I mentioned events like this to people, you know, where there's people coming around showing these documentaries about what's going on overseas, um, and there's so many different ways you can help out, and some people say, you don't have time for that in the U.S. You know, our economy is terrible right now. Um, we have all these issues. We don't have time to think about other, you know, other places of the world. You know, we have it bad. But really, I don't. You know, it's not, mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. to the extent that, yeah. you know, some places in Africa are. So... How would you convince someone who has that mentality um, that going to an event like this um, where you, where you um, are witnessing something that's going on across the world where people do have it worse than us um, to attend an event like this? What, what, what do you guys get out of something like this? I would say that like, it doesn't matter how bad you have it here, like whether you're, you know, you're, you don't have any money or you're not healthy or whatever it may be, like, someone always has it worse. And, like, that's just something you got to think of, whether they live here in the States or they live across the world in Africa. Um, they're still human beings. And, you know, I know for me, if, if, if I were in Africa or wherever I may be, if I needed help, like, and I couldn't do it by myself, I would, like, rely on someone else to help me. And if other people around the world weren't, giving to help me like I know I would just feel so terrible like you know being that person needed help and couldn't get it from anyone so like for me why I do it is because like I know not a lot of people do help them so if I can help them like they just make them happier you know what I'm saying mm -hmm. and like I feel like a lot a lot of people should do that just because they are human beings and they do need help right now there's invisible children the documentaries but there's also invisible children the movement um, some things that I'm familiar with is um, the Global Night Commute in 2006, in which um, 80,000 people spent the night in parking lots in 130 cities across the U.S. to represent what the children of northern Uganda did every night. 
Um, and then shortly after the night commute, um, America became involved with the peace talks to pressure the Ugandan government mm-hmm. to stop the violence. And there's also something um, in April 2007 called Displace Me, where people came. There was, I think, 68,000 um, individuals gathered in 15 cities across the U.S. to sleep in cardboard boxes and um, parking lots, and you could only bring saltine crackers and mm-hmm. or in a water bottle. And the men had to get the saltine crackers because the guys are the hunters, and then the women had to get the water. You know, like women in Africa have to do walk miles and get this bucket of water carried on their head, walk miles back, and kind of <laughs> you know replicate what's going on over there. Um, and Adam, you recently had an event this past Sunday to try mm-hmm. to um, raise more awareness. Can you talk about that event? Um, the event, well, yeah, we had it. It was called uh, Michigan Today for Peace Tomorrow. And uh, me and a girl by the name of Emily Nuss started it. Um, she goes to U- uh, Central Michigan University. And it was originally going to be only for invisible children. We were just going to have this, like, you know, statewide, promoted across the state, have as many people come to support IC as they can, as we can get. Um, but then midway through, we decided why should it just be about invisible children when there's, you know, all these other great organizations out there. There's so many other worthy ones. Like, you know, I see it's just one. So we started calling up other groups, you know, Amnesty International and Direct Relief International and some homeless shelters and just random random things, spectrum, spectrating from, like, you know, Africa to, you know, Asia to America, like, just everywhere in the world. And um, we ended up getting about eight different groups, including Invisible Children, seven or eight different groups, and um, it was on the lawn of the Capitol building, and each group that came, you know, had a, um, a speech prepared, and they had brought some merchandise and some more information to set up a table where they could sell and hand out the merchandise and information. And it was kind of just um, like just like a rally slash awareness thing. You know, we had two activities set up: one um, with some umbrellas, and the umbrellas kind of represented. Um, it was Stephanie's idea of the umbrellas. Mm-hmm. Um, the umbrellas represented that, like, it's not only raining in Michigan and, like, the economic slump that we're in. It's not only raining here. It's raining everywhere across the world. And, like, Sunday was a beautiful day, so we all had our umbrellas, like, for no reason, basically, but it kind of represented, like, we were, like, supporting the people who needed the umbrellas, like, in that metaphoric sense, you know? And then the other activity we did was, like, uh, we made a big... We had a big poster type thing, and it said, um, what peace means to us. And we gave everyone markers at the end of it and had everyone there just write down what peace meant to them, whether it be a picture of a peace symbol or, like, a saying or a word or whatever it is. And um, we're going to take that and send it to Invisible Children, <clears throat> to, like, out in California. We're going to send that with a copy of the video. We maybe we had someone going around asking people questions and just random things, and it turned out to be a very good event, very cool. Um, we had some people there. It was just fun. It was fun. Well, so it sounds like you guys have been pretty touched by these documentaries and Invisible Children. Um, where can people go for more information? Um, we have a few different groups. Um, you can go, one, obviously, to InvisibleChildren.com um, to get information on Invisible Children. Um, if you're an MSU student, um, we have a Facebook group called... Uh, Invisible Children MSU style. Um, I kind of had that one up. I will send you emails if you're a member saying when we're going to meet next, some things that are going on. Um, other than that, I don't know if there's any other. Um, oh, there's also a Facebook group, um, Invisible Children in Michigan. So if you're not 
an MSU student, but you still want to be up to date. Um, I think Emily Nuss handles that one, and that's just kind of to everyone in Michigan. So there's a couple. Facebook is a good place <laughs> to handle that kind of thing to, if you're wanting to get involved. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, even if you just wanted more specific information or had questions for either me or Adam, um, you could email. You us. could email either of us. I know my email Santoro. My last name S A N T O R O eight at msu dot edu. If you have any questions about it, I'm more than willing to answer. Um, mine's Porter A D. It's my last name. Um, it's P O R T E R A D at msu dot edu. Uh, totally hit me up. I'd love to hear from you. All right. Well, thank you very much for coming in again. There's a documentary screening on Thursday showing the latest documentary by Invisible Children called "Go." about um, the 20 um, American students that went to the heart of uh, Africa's longest-running war and then talked about their journey over there. Again, that documentary is called Go. It'll be shown at Michigan State University, Wells Hall, room B106 at 7 p.m. on Thursday. You're tuned to Impact Exposure. Thanks for listening to this evening's Exposure, only on 88.9 The Impact. 